This Institute of Ideas podcast is called Feminism, in conversation with Camille Pallia, and was recorded at the Battle of Ideas 2016 at the Barbican in London. Welcome to this In Conversation with Camille Paglia. Um, I have, of course, been calling her Camille Paglia in my head forever because I never met you. I only read it. And so how exciting that I had to learn to say it because she was here. She has long been, for me, somebody that I've both quoted, mispronounced her name, uh, seen as a great inspiration. We are beyond delighted and I am beyond terrorised, intimidated. Those people who know me will know that this doesn't happen often, but it is happening now. So as the director of the Institute of Ideas, Claire Fox, as I am, I want to introduce you formally uh, before we get talking. Camille, as we know, is world famous, but she's a university professor of humanities and media studies at the University of Arts in Philadelphia, where she's taught uh, since 1984. Many books, including Sexual Personae, Sex, Art and American Culture, Vamps and Tramps, Glittering Images. Everything she writes makes you think, makes you sit up, makes you wonder what she's going to say next. And every time she speaks, it's the same. And she's got a new book coming out, which is very exciting, in spring 2017, next year, Free Women, Free Men, Sex, Gender and Feminism. And that's what we're going to talk about Isn't it exciting? Can we give her a warm welcome? (laughs) Now, I'm not not anticipating that you're all going to agree with everything she says. And if she doesn't upset some of you at some stage during this interview, something's gone horribly wrong. So the format of this is quite simply that I'm going to ask a couple of questions and... I know that Camille has so many interesting things to say that I'm just going to let her talk for at least half of the time. And then we're going to just open up that conversation and you can ask her questions. The first thing to to say to you, I suppose, is that um, I um, have been doing a lot of, over the years, lots of talks around schools, universities, and one of the most distressing changes that I have noticed is that young women that I've talked to have um, felt that their militant feminism today was to to demand to be protected from awful things. And when I said, what do you want to be protected for? And they sort of said, you want me to be vulnerable? This, to me, summed up a massive change. Yes. Any thoughts? Uh, definitely. In the United States as well. Um, am, am, I, am I at an appropriate point on the mic so I don't torture people with my Joan Rivers stridency? Okay, I hope, I hope it's comfortable. I had a comfort level. Um, uh, yes, I do tend to shout when I get excited. <laughs> but there's been a horrible regression. Okay? My generation of the baby boomers uh, born just after World War II uh, had, uh, I think, a greater sense of historical reality because of the uh, trauma our parents had experienced in the depression of the um, 1930s, followed by um, all the young men going to war. My, my father was, uh, it, it was, um, had gone, to, was in the Pacific Theater, was a paratrooper. Uh, all of my uncles had fought in World War II, the Battle of the Bulge, and, and so on. The, um, the, you know, all of the, you know, the helmets and, and things, the equipment brought back from war were in a, in a giant uh, box on my, my uh, paternal grandmother's back 
porch. So there was a sense, okay, of, um, of, of tremendous realism about, uh, about history, about, about suffering, uh, disaster, loss, the Holocaust, the, the, the threat of, um, of uh, nuclear warfare with, uh, with this, in the standoff with the Soviet Union. Um, and so uh, the 1950s I experienced growing up um, is very repressive, and I, I, I didn't understand why. It was only much later that, that I, I felt, I concluded, that um, our parents' generation had experienced so much, uh, throughout, so much anxiety and, and pressure throughout their lives. They wanted a better life for their children. So we were overprotected. And I, I was an absolute open revolt against the code of a kind of simpering femininity that was being forced on us in the, in the 1950s. The, the movies of that period, okay, there, there, was a, there was a kind of a chipper, chirpy blondness, okay, a, an aggressive imperialism of the blondes, of, of Debbie Reynolds, of Doris Day. Doris Day. In the introduction to my new book, I described my, the horrors okay, of, going, of being at Girl Scout camp and, and fleeing into the woods okay, to avoid the mass singing of Doris Day's Sera, sera, okay, by everyone else, okay. <laughs> so I, I, and I, I was signaling my dissent, okay, from uh, this, um, this oppressive uh, in, uh, insistence upon feminine, the feminine persona, in my transgender Halloween costumes that I started doing early on. It's amazing that my parents, you know, allowed me to do it, but it's obvious I wouldn't, I wouldn't dress as a, as a woman. So I was, um, I was Robin Hood, followed by uh, the, the, the Toreador from Carmen. Uh, I, I was Napoleon. It was like one, one of my. I, I was like eight, okay, and I was Napoleon. A Roman soldier, okay, like in, in the church, for example. Um, I, Christianity never made a dent on me. I was always drawn to the pagan residue in Christianity. So, uh, the Stations of the Cross is where actually I saw the Roman soldiers. Okay, you know, the whole thing about Jesus' suffering and, and carrying the cross and stumbling made no pressure, whatever. It was the Roman soldiers. I thought a tremendous fashion statement, okay, with their greaves and their and their breastplates and their in their. So I, I, I was so I was a Roman soldier, like whatever my. My age seven Halloween costume and, and so on, um, uh, and then eventually I was Hamlet. Okay. Uh, and this was a, no. There were no other girls who were dressing in in in, uh, in men, you know men's clothing at, at Halloween at, at that period. But I, I just felt I was absolutely suffocating. I, so I I belonged to the you know to this generation of rebellion. I I finally felt at home in the um, with the with the kind of gender bending fad that came out of London, swinging sixties uh, you know London, mod London, and the, and, the, and there's a tremendous energy that came that came from London. I felt it was a, a kind of my spiritual home through that period. I, I there were now all kinds of clothes clothing one could buy that was in effect transgender uh, with, with uh, you know, I, I had like flared uh, uh, trousers, pinstriped, okay, wearing like Carnaby Street you know, men's ties and, and so on. I, finally, I, I felt I was coming into my own at that period in, in the 1960s. So then, so when uh, feminism was reborn with Betty Friedan in the late, late 1960s, um, I, you know, I, I, I thought this was supposed to be about the liberation of women. Instead, I really hit a wall of, of the closed minds that kind of Kind of the, the new fanatics of, of second wave feminism. I had already signaled my, my revolt uh, by my passion for Amelia Earhart. Okay, when I was in high school in the early 1960s, through Amelia Earhart, uh, I learned about through some newspaper article. They found some bones, which turned out not to be hers after all. The, you know, the eternal mystery of uh, what happened to Amelia Earhart. Uh, but through my uh, through your research project into Amelia Earhart in the early 1960s, I learned about that wonderful period following the women women gaining the right to vote in both. Britain and the United States, uh, and um, the, and these women like uh, like Catherine Hepburn. 
Dorothy Parker, Dorothy Thompson, uh, you know, Ma uh, Margaret Burke White. There were like just so many, and Anne Morrow Lindbergh. There were so many women who were achieving and who had attained a tremendous celebrity in the period of the 1920s, 1930s. That to me is my favorite period in, in feminism okay? because these women okay, uh, admired what men had done. Okay? There was no male bashing as became systemic okay, to second wave feminism. Okay? It's an absolute poison that has spread worldwide. Okay, a feminism based on denigrating men, trivializing you know, what, what men have done, uh, defining men as, as oppressors and tyrants through history. Okay? It is an absolute lie. I mean, there, there have been crimes against women. Where, where they have occurred, we must condemn them. Right? But men, men throughout history have given their lives okay, and their labor for the support of women and children. Okay? So, that, so this is an element in second wave feminism that to me is an extrapolation of, of neuroticism on the part of these of these fanatics okay, who have been attracted to this, to this movement. And I've been at war. Or, Amelia Earhart admired what, what, what Lindbergh had done. And, and she was called the, you know, Lady Lindbergh okay, when, when she crossed the Atlantic uh, you know, see, uh, heroically alone okay, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an airplane which you couldn't even see it out the window, windshield. She was like doing everything you know, by, by mechanically, uh, et cetera. Right, so so I, I feel that that was the, the most helpful period in terms of, of, of the history of, of feminism. So, so but, but just, just in terms of like, because I, your second wave feminism characterization, which I recognize, but it seems to me that things have gone worse. Now, I mean, we yeah. had, we had um, uh, Christina Hoff Summers here last year speaking at the, uh, the festival, and, um, and I know that you and, and, and yes, she... Uh, and, and alive there's a, man, yes. There's a great interview, actually. She's probably a fantastic interview um, on film uh, between Christina and, and uh, Camille, which, we, which you must watch if you haven't already. Um, but where you sort of, you, you anticipated what I have um, written about recently, um, but, you know, using that phrase, Generation Snowflake, is, it's, not, it's not a helpful phrase, but it's from America. So I, that's what they're calling America. And it's often young women. I mean, the Generation yes. Snowflake yep. phenomena of the thin-skinned, easily offended. Yes. And I find it, that's what I was saying, I find it upsetting because I, like you, think... Isn't the point about women's liberation to be free and strong yes. to take risks rather than the, I can't cope with that. If I see a picture, it's going to finish me off and, and, and who can protect me? And the demand is to, for example, in universities, college authorities, you Come and protect me. Yes. Well, it's, I, it's a return oh, to the 1950s yes, yes, so, yeah. vision of femininity again. Okay? Yeah, yeah. So when, when, when my generation arrived in college, I, I arrived in 1964 in college, and the colleges still believed they had the right and obligation to act in loco parentis in place of the parent. Uh, therefore, the women dormitories, uh, women were compelled to sign in at 11 o'clock at night, so we were safely inside. The men could run free, you know, for the whole night. We are the ones who said, "Get out of our private lives." And the, the you know the, the colleges said, uh, "No." the world is dangerous. We must protect you against rape. And what my generation said what was, give us the freedom to risk rape. That is true adulthood okay, for, for women. And now everything has, has regressed. And I believe, I do believe, it's because nothing has really happened okay, to this generation. They have not had, had that uh, initial experience that my generation did of, of, of war. You know? um, and so, and there's a, so that I think it's, it's, it's a result of, the, of, the, um, of uh, the, the world of social media also, where people feel uh, they have so many friends, okay, uh, and uh, they, 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 they want a, a sense that um, reality is comfortable 
comforting them and cushioning them and so on. Uh, I, I think there's a great anxiety um, and, a, and a sort of a weakness of outline of the personalities of, of, of young people. They, they, they do, to me, look uh, um, like, as, a, as a, an experienced classroom teacher of 45 years, I mean, I'm, I'm starting to feel, I'm starting to self-censor. As I, as I speak to them. I'm starting to, uh, um, it's not that I give trigger warnings or anything like that, but I, I do feel that they are easily upset, okay, and that, uh, that, that their education has been without a, a, a realistic introduction to the barbarities of human history, right? I feel that ancient history must be taught, okay, and that there's a, too much presentism right now. Right? They, they, they see a comfortable world around them, the world of the shopping malls, a world of, of material prosperity, right? uh, and, they, and they, they believe that by um, any problems in the environment can be remedied by, by just a, a, a little using a screw, screwdriver, slightly tighten a screw, all right? And soon utopia, you know, will happen. They have no sense, okay, of the special privileges they enjoy in this in this very affluent, um, you know, culture. So I, I believe in introducing uh, young people to the disasters of, uh, of history. But and, just and, actually on teaching, because I think that's um, <laughs> the disasters of that's a good curriculum. But they just um, they're just about <laughs> they've just announced that they're getting rid of classical civilization. A level in this country, so that's uh, uh, worth knowing. And art history, as it goes. Yes. Um, but anyway, but one one thing's on on just on on the actual um, content of what's because one of the things that happens is there's an accusation that the young are overcoddled, molly coddled, and I think that's true. I think the the responsibility is my generation um, that has basically reared them, you know, you know, wrapped people in cotton wool. The problem is there isn't a rebellion except to be wrapped in more cotton wool. Yes, so that's yes, not a good yeah, sign. So yeah. that's, that's what my concern is. But on your point about um, what you're taught, which I think is really interesting, is one of the things that happens, because I'm interested in education, is, is that rather than sort of demanding that people are taught more, is that, that people are taught less or different. So to give you an example, um, there's, there was a campaign on in schools recently about music A-level in this country, that said the problem with um, music A-level was it was putting off young women because there wasn't enough women composers oh, on the curriculum. So there was this sort of like, you know, we can't, you know, you, why have you got Mozart and Beethoven and where are the women? Well, obviously there, were, there aren't that many women composers. So they've, anyway, the young people who organised this campaign, it was 17, um, the exam board backed by the government... In fact, the example instructed by the government of this country backed down. So Kate Bush is now on the A-level music curriculum as a course of this victory. But it struck me that every topic loses the sense of what it was about. So we're not interested in music anymore. That was a kind of propaganda lesson. You go into a museum or a gallery with a bunch of uh, 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 young women and it's, and it's you know, we, we start discussing you know, sexist exploitation, you yes, know, and, yes. and in fact the galleries and the museums go along with that sort. So I just feel as though, as you're an art uh, teacher, that something's gone wrong in education as yeah. well. Mm -hmm. It's not just that we've wrapped them in cotton wool, they don't know anything. Mm -hmm. And they're not likely to at this rate. Anyway. Yes, well, when, when, when second wave feminism um, uh, suddenly was burst out in the late 1960s and early 1970s, there was uh, this claim being made by feminists that um, that the history had been censored and that, the, that, the, that soon would be rediscovered all these unknown female geniuses in the history of, of the arts. And, and, and there, there really was that belief out there. So there was like this like search for the undiscovered woman Michelangelo and so on and so forth. Well, there is no woman Michelangelo. Instead, they've, like, they'll add... Uh, 
Artemisia Gentileschi, who's a perfectly you know, capable, competent um, painter in, in, the, in, the, in a certain Baroque style that, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, that we, Rubens did better, uh, et cetera. Um, and uh, my book, Sexual Persona, my first book, is, is, is about you know, what is the nature of artistic crea creation? And what, what, is the, what is the nature of, of genius? And, and I said that, uh, it, it, that uh, men have indeed made all, all, most of the major landmarks in the history of the arts, and I tried to explain why. I said it's not because women have less talent, but that, but that men are driven toward hallucination, <laughs> obsession, okay, uh, diversion okay, from the priority of women's power over them. Okay? I, I, and I, and I have the, all my, my theories about men, men's conceptualization that may indeed be re related to um, to the to the intelligence range. Okay, that is that that, that women tend to, sh to to show up at the at the great midpoint of the um, of the IQ range. They, they, and you have male geniuses, and you and you have male morons, literally. Okay, and I also said that that to me, um, crime. Okay, that that uh, crime is a conceptual activity, serial sex crime, and so on, and that this is. This is, uh, and I said, there is no female Mozart because there is no female Jack the Ripper. Okay, uh, you, you just do not find uh, w women showing up as as uh, the serial you know, murderers. Okay, so, so I think that I think that um, the ideation is one of the products of of the of the male mind, and that there's a, a pattern of, of projection. Right, uh, that I relate. In, in this, you know, pe people were incredulous about this, but I, I still maintain it. Okay, that the that men learn how to project. Okay, through their own anatomy. That that, that Freud. You know, Freud talked about male urination, okay, as a kind of accomplishment that that primitive man prided himself on on his ability to put out a fire, okay, with a stream of urine. And I said that it's a strange thing to be proud of, okay, but that but you know, they, but it's beyond the, the scope of woman who would scorch her hams in the process of trying to put out a fire, okay, with her with her with urination and so on. And I and I do believe that that male maturation is about controlling those streams, the streams of urine, the ejaculation, and so on. And if a man doesn't control it, he will soil himself in an infantile manner. Okay? So I believe that, that male, uh, the male pattern of urination is indeed okay, at, at, the, at the heart of, you, you eventually get to Michelangelo, okay? you know, you're going from the, you know, that, <laughs> and, and so on. Right? Um, and, I, and I have seen over my, in my own lifetime now, I'm like getting in, into my senior years here, um, that uh, you know, I've seen many talented women. I, I knew many extremely uh, uh, you know, competent and promising women, but what they lacked okay, was the power Power of obsession. Okay, there are, there, are, there are very few female obsessives. I think I'm one. Okay, and so on. But you know, so I'm, I'm kind of a, I'm an, an odd sport. Okay, but I do feel I'm, be, I'm in between the, the genders. Um, and that, and that there is a, there's a kind of life deranging quality to artistic achievement, okay, where it becomes, where you, it's a mania, an absolute mania, and, and it produces, uh, it produces rapists, and, and I, I believe that, uh, that, that uh, feminism by, by second wave feminism by hiding, by concealing, by suppressing the evidence for sexual difference is actually exposing young women to, to, to danger because they do not imagine, okay, that, that, that there are psychotics, okay, psychotic men who are looking at them as prey, who actually see them through primitive eyes. They don't understand that. We're, very, we're, we're like decades away from um, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, not, you know, 1960, which, which is about exactly these, you know, these things I'm, I'm, I'm talking about you know, right now. So I, I, mean, I think that there are tremendous sexual differences based in hormones, based in biology, right, that, 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 need to, that need to be put, brought into the gender studies curriculum that are now erased from it. Gender roles are now are, are being you know, maintained as 
as uh, effective constructs, the result of environmental pressures, and so I, on. I, I, God, I dare, I dare I disagree, but I'm going to disagree slightly, because I actually found that everyone's obsessed with the idea of the male gaze and they're all psychos. Oh, the male gaze I mean, is I know, but I, what I'm saying is, yeah. this, uh, you know, the, yeah, well, you can do... Because yes. my fear is, is that when... Is, is, is that a lot of women that I talk to imagine... or, or the, the description is such that, you know... Every man is potentially looking at you with the view of being of, of kind of abusing you in some fashion. I mean, there's no idea that you, that you can be looked at in any admiring way, which is one thing I know that you've talked about and written about yes. over the years. But I, I don't you think everyone's obsessed with the idea that no, men but, are they, hormonally they, driven to. No, not, not the hor- No, no they, no, they believe it's coming from social indoctrination. Right. They, they believe that, that men um, you know, are, are born to a culture that privileges maleness, which is not, not at all true for, like, for many recent decades, right? and that they learn okay, this, that, and, they, and therefore we. We can retrain them. We can we can indoctrinate them to change. You say, well, I'm the only one really talking about the biological roots of it. And, and there's to me absolutely incontrovertible that there is a, a biological basis to the to the greater um, visual component in male sexuality. All right, there, there, there are brain differences here. Okay? Males really do see uh, the, the visual. Um, they were aroused visually much more than than women are. And I, and I, I believe I for, for whatever reason. I I'm able to see women in the way men see women, sort of like the, you know, like Faye Dunaway in the eyes of Laura Mars or something. I, I feel like I'm like looking at, at um, things in, in the way the way men do. So the, the idea of the of the male gaze. Okay, with, with, first of all, Laura Mulvey is a very nice person. Okay, but I'm sorry, she knew absolutely nothing about the history of the arts, um, and therefore this uh, sudden creation of this idea, which which is like contaminated all of film criticism. Okay, you know, oh my goodness, okay, so film criticism is practically not worth reading, you know, any longer because it utterly and a kind of cultivated basis. But now, wait, wait, we're going on a diversion here, okay? As <laughs> I go on about that, okay? Um, but, um, you know, I, I, I do believe that there is a, a vestigial hunting uh, archetype still, okay? In, 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 in that, and that's the way to look at it, it seems to me, the, the, the male gaze. Um, that, that, that women of today... Uh, who are, have been raised in a highly sexualized environment with highly sexualized clothing, a product of my own generation's sexual revolution, uh, do not understand the, 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 that, that, that the way you dress and, the, and how much flesh you expose is a form of communication. It's a, it's, a, it's a form of conveying sexual interest or readiness. Now, you talk like this and people will apparently lynch you, you know, right now. Okay? I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm part of the pro-sex um, movement in feminism that was, that was suppressed okay, during the during the 1970s, 1980s, we burst forth in the 1990s, thanks to Madonna, you know, and her and her and her videos of the 1980s and in early 90s and so on. All right, but um, but the point is, uh, I also understand, okay, that uh, you know, even while I'm I'm I, I support and defend and admire you know pornography and prostitution, this, I mean, I feel that today there's this, there's this idea that women can dress however they want. Okay, it's utterly meaningless, and I and I you know, I'm like exposing you know, 90% of my flesh right now, but how how dare you be aroused? How dare you look away? How dare you do not make a remark? Okay, as I as I go with my you know Louboutin like it's stiletto heels down and down 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 the road like this. Okay, what? Okay, you're looking at my bum. How dare you? Okay, and so on. Right, absolutely. There's a hypocrisy. Okay, and in a kind in a kind of self delusion. Okay, that's operating among many among many young women, including feminists. Okay, right. So I, I'm not saying don't dress like that. I'm saying yes, dress like that, but be prepared to defend yourself. Okay, because the street. I, I 
I call my philosophy street smart Amazon feminism, okay? All right? This, the street belongs to you. Yes, you have every, every right, like as a drag queen would, okay, to dress as you want and to, and to bring public attention to yourself. But stop lying to yourself that you're advertising, okay? You're advertising. And, and I've said, I've written but before, you know if you advertise, you're... be ready to sell. You... You know, you know that that will get you the accusation of victim blaming. Yes, That's what here will we happen. Go. Yes. No, exactly. I know. No, that, no, I know. I know, no, I, know. I know that you know that I know. No, but anyway, so in the recent case of Ched Evans, the footballer, and the rape case, in the midst of trying to have conversations, he, he, he in a court of appeal, he got found not guilty, and the young woman. Uh, involved, who'd obviously, it was a horrible experience, but she was, couldn't remember any of the incidents and was drunk and so on. But anyway, in the course of the discussion, any attempt at even saying, well, you know, he, he spent two and a half years in jail, so he's now innocent, so, you know, one, any attempt to at say maybe getting, you know, completely off your head drunk uh, it might be sort of slightly problematic for yes. a young woman. Yeah. Immediately, you're a rape apologist victim blaming written out of the picture and that's if you're a woman who's associated with fighting for equality so if you're a bloke you can't comment at all can you right. but i mean do you get that a lot and yes. what you've just said absolutely. is victim blaming uh, absolutely the, the, the most controversial piece i ever wrote was uh, my my date rape uh, op-ed okay for new york newsday in um january of 1991 and I, and i was persecuted for that for like for, for you know for years and years and years and I, I've, I've walked off talk shows live and i walked off the queen elizabeth hall stage you know I mean, to avoid fisticuffs with a you know a, a, a moderate with, who will not be blamed we, we, we let's not name a her. nameless yeah, that's, she, well, she, okay, she was like one of the Stalinist feminists who infest London. Okay, all right. Um, and, and I absolutely feel okay that uh, that if women expect to be treated seriously in modern society, if they expect to achieve, okay, they must accept full responsibility for the, for their part in every encounter, potentially romantic or sexual encounter with a man. Okay, we're not talking here. I mean, I don't know this case. Okay, okay I keep hearing snatches yeah, yeah. of it. Okay, I don't know this case, but in in my view, okay, um, we're not talking about a woman being snatched off a street who was going about her business as an innocent, and of course there would be a case of rape which one, and kidnapping, abduction, which one must condemn. Okay? But the moment you have private individuals in, in, uh, who, are, who are come together uh, it, with, with mutual sexual interest okay, in, a, in, in a context that can lead to sex, okay, I believe the, the women must accept full responsibility for their behavior and for what they are conveying in it. Okay? Uh, and, I, and it's mixing up. Of, I mean, that essay that I wrote on date rape begins with, by saying, okay, rape, rape is an outrage that cannot be tolerated in civilized society. I begin with that premise and then go on from there to say that what's called date rape, okay, is to me a distortion you know, of proper feminism, okay, which, which is, these are the freedoms that my generation won, the freedom for women to go out without a chaperone or a duena, okay, and, 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 and being simply a child as defined by society, okay. So, that, so we're in a period now where there's a tremendous mix-up. I, I, I absolutely reject the idea that, that young women on dates or any woman on a date okay, should be put into the same category as, as an authentic victim of rape who, who, who should reserve, you know, should be reserved, our true outrage should be reserved for. Um, I, I think that um, you're, you're familiar because a lot of these uh, ideas came from America in the first place. So one of the things that's happening in UK universities at the moment is uh, mandatory consent classes um, for, you know, where, where young men have to be taught how to 
what consent means. As one student put it, so I, I, as he, he refused to go to the lesson, um, I, I don't need to go to a class to be taught not to be a rapist, as an you know, it's so uh, uh, insulting. But but then actually, quite a lot of, I mean, in fact, Chad Evans, that footballer, actually said, "Well, I think there should be lessons in what consent is." And you do think. I was kind of defending him before, and then as soon as he said that, I thought, what is wrong with you? I mean, if you don't know, maybe we should go back to court. Um, anyway, um, uh, the, uh, but what do you think of that? Because you just said about a child, the fact that that was campaigned for by feminists, that men should go for consent classes, God. that we should have consent written down like an illegal document... Sex it belongs to the non-verbal realm. It belongs to the realm of the body. Okay. Yes, it's an, it's a, it's a, it's an animal instinct rising you know, in the, the mind. Okay. Uh, it used to be that these ideas would have been common coin. Uh, you know, Freud was talking about the whole realm of the un unconscious, the subliminal, the dream life. Right? But Freud was written out of feminism early on. He was declared to be a sexist. Uh, so then the, also all of the ambiguities okay, of human motivation okay, and the uh, and, and, and the way that uh, you, you know, Freud, Freud, Freud's idea about ambivalence, okay, where one can be of mixed minds, okay, about about uh, uh, about one's uh, parents, about one's one's lovers, and so on. Also, Freud's ideas about uh, family romance and the way that that people are caring forever, the marks of their particular relationship as children to, to their parents, right? and that's another thing, okay, that uh, with with Freud out of the picture, uh, young women don't understand that they may become symbolic, okay, in a drama. Uh, uh, with a, with a young man who is on the who is at the verge of uh, of achieving his own independent identity, free of his mother. Okay, so this this moment of college is uh, extremely charged, you know, for for young men. Okay, this is the point where 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 the sexes are discovering who they are. Right? So so women want it both ways. And that's what I, I think. That there's the, the lack of psychological um, acuity or or subtlety in current feminist discourse has, has produced part of this problem. Now, at my experience with with women. I've been a total failure as a lesbian, let me tell you right now, okay? <laughs> I, I, mean, I can understand, I really understand how, how, how maddening women are to men, okay? Absolutely maddening. I mean, a man can clearly read that a woman is interested in a sexual way by her body language and so on and so forth, all right? And then, and then, then he try, he makes a move on her and oh, absolutely not, how dare you? Etc. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you women, are, uh, everything that men uh, see in women, okay, the, 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 this, the, this, the I have seen it, okay. Right. <laughs> because women don't have the marker of their own excitation. Okay, a man knows immediately. He gets like he gets a hard on, like immediately. He knows. Oh, I'm interested. Okay, whether it's a gay man or a straight man. Okay, but women can be in a. You absolutely can read their radiating sexual readiness, and then yet, oh, how dare you? Okay, so on. I'm, I'm telling you. Okay, all right. Men, men's frustration with women. Okay, is actually based in reality. So, I mean, I, I, I do feel that. Um, that, uh, that that right now, when you have this 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 overbearing kind of um, you know uh, this fascist intrusion by authority figures into into declaring these are the rules of sex, you must transfer every possible sensory impulse or sensation into words. I mean, it's, it's almost ridiculous. It's, it's almost like we're reading a satire. Okay, you, you need you need a pope or a swift you know, to deal to deal with the limited mentalities you know, of these commissars of 
government and of universities who, who dare okay, to intrude into young people's social and sexual lives. How dare they? They're vampires. Okay? It's, up, it's up to young people to rebel. Young people must rebel and say, get out of our sex lives, okay? exactly the way my generation did. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> only a couple more things before I open it up. Um, uh, there's been quite a lot of talk, quite a lot of good work actually done by a number of people on something called concept creep and the idea that, you know, words such as bullying, harassment and so on have become almost meaningless as they've got wider and wider and wider. Mm-hmm. Is, is that one of the things that's happened in, in relation to victims? I mean, the, 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 um, here in the UK, in fact, only yesterday or the day before, there's, uh, there was a big report about... Uh, uh, rampant sexual violence on campus, uh, and when you read it, it was you were thinking, does anyone know what violence is? And 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 also and also, I mean, you know, because it really was like, you know, I went to the bar in Freshers Week, and I felt threatened because somebody talked to me. You know, I mean, I'm I'm over, I'm not even overstating it. But then also, we had that that incident, which was which is totally serious and and, and kind of endlessly discussed, which was Cecil Rhodes, the imperialist. Um, or 19th century imperialist, the statue of him in Oxford University, the big yeah. campaign to pull it down. But yes, the main yeah. thing was was that endless reams of academic articles written about how walking past the statue was the kind of violence, was an act of violence. And that the people who walked past that statue, people of colour who walked past that statue, felt violated as their ancestors did by slavery. And you think, what? I mean, you're a privileged member of the Oxford University community, and you're walking past a statue, and you think that it's as violent as being kept as a slave. Yes, but that's right. I, we can, you can laugh, right? Yes, right. I, I, this is filmed. I am likely to get in a lot of trouble for saying this. Yes. I mean, that's the point. Yes. But, the, but the concept creep means that actually people do feel... I don't think they're even making it up. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. they walk past a statue and feel violated. Yes. I think they get chatted up in the bar and feel sexual violence has yes. been done to them. Right. So how do we make concepts mean something anymore? Well, this is part of, part of this inflation of the, of, of the power of words. It's coming also from post-structuralism, which, you know, which believes that gender is not based on the body, but is the result of, of, of lang- refractions of language and so on. So there's like, an, and that's, so we're in a period, okay, of, of bureaucraties okay, where, um, you know, and I, 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 for me, we have, to, um, we have to push the bureaucrats back, okay? So I, I, I want them, I want, a total reduction in the in the in the number of administrators in colleges and universities. It used to be it wasn't wasn't a British problem. It was simply an American problem. But it's not, it started over here now. Okay, as with government regulations, government requirements, uh, and then you know um, and and uh, scrutiny of what's going on on campus. Uh, in 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 the case of America, the Obama administration okay has has uh, has tied um, uh, government funding uh, going to universities to the seriousness with which it takes sexual harassment investigation and persecutions on campus. So, that, so the way that colleges and universities have dealt with this is simply by creating a new office, you know, an, an office you know, that, that's going to, going to investigate sexual misconduct and to add on more and more administrators. Okay? So the, the, the faculty has been utterly passive. Okay? I, and I think that's, that's true probably over here as well. Okay? The faculty thinks, oh, this, this is like a, inconsequential. It's, it's external to what, what we do. But no, I'm sorry. Okay? The, the, the entire function of the universities is turned into, instead of intellectual inquiry, 
and knowledge, it's turned really into, a, universities have turned to a branch, okay, of social engineering, okay, from, from and I, I think the bureaucrats throughout history, you must fear, okay, the, an overexpansion of bureaucracy. It, it, it led to, I think, I believe the fall of the Mesopotamian civilizations, <laughs> the fall of Rome, etc. You know, bureaucrats have a particular kind of stereotypical mentality. And when they get sex, okay, in, in their, you know, within their purview, you see what happens, okay, all the sex goes out of, you know, sex becomes merely a word, and, and then it, it's all of a sudden we get these connections to what you're talking about, to, to violence and everything else. So the, the words become increasingly meaningless, um, uh, but, you know, in, in the world of bureaucracy. We've toyed a little bit with you with the gender question, so I think that it's, you know, it's one that really bothers people or interests people as well. Um, so we've had you as Robin Hood at eight, or even as Napoleon, and that's interesting. And this sort of idea of kind of fluidity and um, certainly growing up, I, I, want, I wanted, I mean, or my political uh, understanding as much as a, a feminist as I was, was that I didn't think it was fair that all the masculine virtues were the good ones that I want, like, you know, intellect and bravery and, you know, leadership. And all. I thought, God, you know, there's no, they haven't got a monopoly on them, right? And that all the feminine virtues were simpering and hopeless. Yes. And so I thought part of being, you know, was grabbing back those as humanist values and I was going to have some of them. And then, of course, now I'm considered to be the wrong kind of feminist, you know, who wants to imitate men. And as you right, said, actually. Right. But there is something weird, despite that, about the transgender question, right? There is something going on that's beyond the very, the, the sort of liberation of fluidity. Something else seems to have happened where many young people in this country now, there's a percentage increase in the number registering for clinical interventions on uh, transgender questions has increased enormously. There's a certain fashion in schools of, mm -hmm. of some sort, and it's a nerve-wracking business. If you're going to get no platformed in this country at university, you know, Germaine Greer-like, regardless of what one thinks of Germaine Greer, the point is you only have to t t touch on this question. Ian McEwen, who is completely right on liberal uh, uh, novelist, dared to say the slightly wrong thing, and suddenly he's... He, he, he kind of has to apologise and is kind of ridiculed and shamed. I don't want to get you to say anything you don't believe, but I'm interested in it because I want to be for liberation. I'm not going to stop anyone dressing how they will. But there's something weird about lots of young women wanting to be young men and mm -hmm. lots of young men wanting to be women. I don't feel as though it's a great step forward myself. Mm -hmm. Thoughts? Well, <clears throat> I, I say in the introduction to my you know, to my new book, my new collection, my particular transgender um, rebellion came at a time when um, there, there wasn't this, uh, these ideas in the air, that the, that, the, that the moment you are dissatisfied with the limitations of your present gender definition, uh, that there is a, 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 this enormous mechanism waiting to alter your body, um, to, to, to halt puberty, to sl slow your puberty down. To, um, uh, uh, people, uh, all very well-meaning and very sympathetic, are there to provide um, uh, surgical uh, intervention into, and, 
and potential uh, you know, permanent changes in your body with which there's no going back. Okay? I, I, for me, um, you know, a, 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 trans, a, a sex change operation um, opens one door but closes many others. Right? So I, 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 I personally believe that um, anyone who, um, who, uh, who collaborates in, a, in a, an intrusion into a developing child's body and mind is guilty of child abuse, a crime against humanity, okay? because that child is not prepared to make such a decision. Okay? I, I, I think that such, such decisions about sex reassignment surgery must wait um, when one attains a majority, which would be, it seems to me, a minimum of, of age 18. Uh, I'm, I'm very concerned with this because I think that um, it's become a fashion, okay, uh, that, that, a, uh, that uh, the transgender uh, definition has become a kind of convenient label for young people who may simply feel alienated, okay, culturally for many other reasons, okay, so that in the 1950s they might have become a beatnik, in the 1960s they might have become a hippie and taken uh, you know, mind-expanding drugs, okay, and so today you're encouraged to think that your alienation is because you're not totally defined, you know, uh, identifying with the, your particular inherited gender definition. Um, so I, I'm, I'm very concerned about this. I think that a lot of it, uh, I think that the, that the, that the uh, collaboration of the bureaucratic machinery with it has to do with the assault on masculinity. Okay. Ah, okay. You see, trans the gender doesn't really exist. It's not really polarity. I mean, it's it, it, everything is all about expanding women's rights, but also terminating men. Okay, and and defining men out of existence. Masculinity is by definition toxic. Okay, masculinity doesn't exist. You see, this is this is the proof of it. But now I began my all of my studies, my, my book Sexual Personae, began as a dissertation at Yale, uh, graduate school, on androgyny. I've always been fascinated, attracted you know, to the subject of androgyny, uh, and, and that's what Sexual Personae is. I explored it in history. But the, the more I explored it, I realized that, um, that historically, this, uh, this, uh, the movement toward androgyny occurs in late phases of culture, okay, as a, as a civilization is starting to uh, unravel. Okay, and that, that you can find it again and again and again through history in the in, in the in the Greek art. Okay, you can you can see it happening. All of a sudden, okay, there's a, there's a kind of uh, you know the, the the sculptures of of um, of handsome nude young men athletes that used to be very robust. Okay, in the archaic period, suddenly began to seem like wet noodles. Okay, toward the end. Okay, and that uh, and that and that the people who 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 live in such periods, a late phase of culture. Whether it's, it's the Hellenistic era, whether it's the Roman Empire, whether it's it's uh, the Mauve decade of Oscar Wilde in the 1890s, whether it's Weimar Germany, people who live at such times, okay, feel that um, they're very sophisticated, they're very cosmopolitan, okay, and homosexuality, heterosexuality, so what, anything goes, and so on, all right, and so, and but but we, from the perspective of, of historical distance, okay, you can see that it's a culture that no longer believes in itself, okay, and then and, and then what you what you invariably get are are you know are are, are people who are convinced of the power of heroic masculinity, okay, on the edges, whether they're the Vandals and the Huns, okay, or whether, or whether they're the barbarians of ISIS, okay, you see them, you know, starting to mass on the outsides of the culture, and that's what we have right now, that there is a tremendous uh, and, and, and rather terrifying disconnect between the infatuation with the transgender movement on, in, in our own culture and what's going on out there, okay, all right, and so, and so I mean, that's why I, 
I'm concerned. I feel it's ominous. Okay. I, I, I question whether uh, the transgender uh, choice is um, in, indeed genuine in every every single case. Uh, but what again, what concerns me is when uh, well-meaning uh, adults, you know, believe that they are helping people uh, by by making the easier uh, some permanent change in the body from which there is no going back. Um, you know, for example, Brown University, one of the elite, uh, yeah, Ivy League schools in the United States, put uh, sex reassignment surgery on its in, uh, on its uh, student insurance program. Okay, so you, so that so that it becomes you know, they can get a, a sex change in college. And I think I, I I thought, oh my lord. Okay, I, I feel that's evil. Okay, because what it does to to young people today facing an uncertain job market. Okay, what it says people who are questioning their gender while they're at Brown University um, suddenly feel well, it's like economically you know a better judgment, you know, for me to move now on this rather than to wait till I don't have a job and live in my parents' basement, okay, and so on. So actually, the, you know, the, the adult community trying to be understanding, okay, is, I think, involved in, in, in possibly making a permanent change in someone's life that, that could have tragic consequences. Okay. Uh, so many more things I want to ask, but let me ask you if you want to. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take, like, three or four at a time few quick thoughts, uh, starting from your last point on transgender and reassignment. I was just wondering, because the issue of control uh, features uh, very much nowadays, I mean, it featured along in the Brexit campaign, I'm not going down that route, it featured a lot about uh, in politics nowadays. I was wondering whether young people are trying to give a sense to themselves that at least this is an area where they can exercise some control over their lives, as opposed to their jobs in a globalised world, as opposed to relationships, as opposed to, because increasingly there is no no concept of a constraint anymore of a family of, of a you know of a structure so just just a thought on the last yes i mean i, I think i i'm i'm very concerned that the, the issue of identity okay has shrunk down okay to merely a gender to your position on on a, on a, on a lot, big scale of, of a ruler you know there's a, a tiny little infinitesimal gradations of gender and has shrunk to the body itself okay in management of the body and that, that is a sad consequence you know, i believe that Identity should be much broader. So we're in this period of secular, secular, of a particular kind of desiccated secularism. Now, I'm as an atheist, I still am extremely interested in religions. I feel that world religion should be taught in, um, you know, at the, at the most fundamental level. Then we would understand much more about Islam and, and, and everything else right now. If people had been listening to me 25 years ago, All right? Um, and but so, and I feel that that the identity should, like, in, the, in my generation, the 1960s, the people who took drugs, when 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 they when they were searching for themselves. They discovered the universe through drugs. Okay, it was a vision quest like that of the Native Americans. So there was a metaphysical dimension to their, to their, in a, in a, in a tremendous kind of cosmic distance. Okay, to their self-identification. They, they were explorers of the universe, of ultimate reality beyond society. Today, this is sad to me. Okay, yeah. the idea that oh, I am just the. How do you identify? Okay, I am. A, you know, and there's like there's like incredible like range of things to choose from. Yeah, and that just shows you the failures of our education system, okay, which has tried to make everyone feel good and to like, have, have good feelings about themselves and no bullying, et cetera, et cetera, instead of giving them hard knowledge about the past, okay? And so, yes, go ahead. And this leads no. me very neatly on this very quick second quick, point. Quick, 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 quick. Uh, this sense of wanting everyone to cuddle everyone and well-being and protectionism. Yes. I wonder whether there is this new mentality of... Uh, 
victim blaming. There was an, a recent judge case whereby even a minor was more or less blamed. I think people might know what I'm talking about following a rape because more or less she asked for it. I think it was a female judge actually who made that point in the UK. Some people might, this might ring bells to some people's thoughts. So I'm thinking, if there is this new culture of victim blaming, how does this reinforce the sense of agency and responsibility that your generation of feminists, you said, because you said... Okay, give right, us right, 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 right. Right, yeah. So, uh, but, uh, but above many else i think that the it's the opposite which is is that there's not an era of victim blaming there's an era of saying anyone who disagrees with you is a victim blamer which is a whole different ball game yes that's true. uh by yes, the sorry. way <laughs> right I'm, I'm i'm going to because i want to take some more right yes hi uh i go to an american liberal arts college um thank you so much for existing you oh. probably saved Hooray. my life oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but um i was wondering i found these uncanny similarities between the very i like right-wing kind of religious conservatism or that view of women as you know needing protection and um you know kind of extolling feminist uh, feminine virtues like you know vulnerability and all that and the kind of very left-wing opposite of that and it almost seems like the coming full circle mm -hmm. in the sense that now you know i've been told that you know reading a book would be too much for me to cope with because of a certain experience i've had in my life right or like the thought that like somehow um you know just reading a poster of some sort or like a man being in the classroom would somehow unsettle me to the point where that man would need to leave the classroom to you know, make that classroom safe for me to be in. Yeah. Um, so, how do you see the similarities? Um, you know, oh, absolutely. Right I, I, f I feel that 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 that, that, uh, that human beings need religion. They need a, re a religious perspective, a cosmic pr perspective. And getting rid of the orthodox religions because they were they were too conservative has simply led to the new religion of political correctness. All right? and, so, and, and it's the same kind of fanaticism. I mean, I, I mean, I, I have found that a second wave feminists. Okay, it's like the Spanish Inquisition. I'm not kidding. Okay, they, I mean, they, they, like any anything with that that. Um, in any form of dissent, even within feminism, is treated as heresy. Okay, and and they and they actually try to destroy you. When, when I when I wrote um, the, my, my 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 piece on date rape in 1991, there was clearly an organized campaign among feminist groups to get me fired from my university. They harassed the president of of the university, and who, who thank heavens, okay, I had tenure, and but also he took the very enlightened view that um, that faculty are free to express their views about the thing. But but if but if I were a younger faculty member, I wouldn't have dared to speak out, okay, I would have been vulnerable in, in, in the promotion process and so on. So I do think that, that the independent thinkers have been, um, have, been, have been driven out of academe. I mean, there, there are plenty of, of, of men who just gave up, okay. Uh, I, I, I remember, um, um, you know, being... Um, there's a young woman, uh, Katie Royfe, for example, who's gone on to, to write you know, various, uh, various books and so on, uh, who's the daughter of a novelist, uh, uh, you know, a well-known novelist in the United States and so on. And, and she had told me, it was like 20 years ago now, uh, I, I said, oh, I, you, aren't you going on okay, in graduate school? And she said, well, that, that was my dream to become a professor. She said, but I, I, don't, I don't dare. She said, because there's no, there's no, no place for me in, in, um, you know, in academia. I wouldn't be. And, I, and I said, but it's, it's only through dissident, young, free thinkers okay, who may Make their way, you know, in in the universities, uh, who will, who will change the universities, and I, and um, now eventually she she does teach now on a kind of ad hoc basis, I think at at, at NYU, which is a return to it. But I, I, every independent thinker, okay, every every person who is a truly original thinker, who has been driven out of American academia at least over the decades. I've heard abundant, you know, abundantly from letters I've been getting for you know, for twenty five years. I mean, there was one 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 letter I remember very, very clearly um, from a, a woman who said. Said that uh, she was now painting houses in, in in Missouri. Okay, and she said that she was in the comparative literature pro program at Berkeley. 
which is extremely um, PC and so on. And she said that uh, every time in, in, their, in their seminar that she would express enthusiasm about the work under study. Okay? People would look at her as if she had, made, had created some, some offense. Okay? Because, the, the, of course, the, the new style is that you uh, take this uh, deconstructionist view, debunking view of great literature and art. Like, therefore, you, like, you wade into something which is admired by others and you, with your red pen, check off you know, racism, sexism, homophobia, and so on. Right? So this is what's happened is that the universities have increasingly become a place for the time servers, for the obedient, for the servile, right? and, the, and, the, and the true independent things are gone. Okay? And, and, there, and therefore, this is what I say, okay, is that every individual, male or female, must, must, see, must see life as, 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 as something that you are personally responsible for. You are responsible for your own education. Okay? You cannot be dependent on teachers or, you know, and people should be looking at college not as a place to, to, to receive, if, I mean, most of the teachers are going to be, uh, you know, Conventional. Instead, it's an opportunity to read in the library. That's what I, I did. I went into the library and I just, the, 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 my shrine was Yale's Sterling Library. I just went in there and I ransacked, okay? So I just floor after floor after floor, book after book after book, and I discovered all kinds of things forgotten or suppressed voices. Are, they're out there, okay? They, they, you know, illumination and, and, and enlightenment are there, available for every individual. It's a matter of personal responsibility. That's the essence of my feminism and of my approach to life. <laughs> Okay, so a couple of things very important in that, and it is disconcerting, is is that that a lot of the witch hunts, and that's what they are, Mm -hmm. against people that call for people to lose their jobs and get sacked and so on, sadly are led by people who call themselves feminists. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is, Mm -hmm. or progressives, because I'm aware of the fact that there will be people in this room who are thinking... The Institute of Ideas said this wouldn't be an echo chamber and I'm like leading a kind of cheering here. Um, But I don't care in this instance. I I think that's very important. So I I think to bear that in mind. And then the the second thing is, um, just on that point about reading the library, that kind of great books tradition, read, 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 um, actually is completely unfashionable. And that is tragic. Um, Mm -hmm. And I do think that... That's what makes, because people have said to me about you, you'll be delighted to know, oh, yeah, you know, but, you know, contrarian. And they say the same, you know, it's like, oh, you just, if you said black, you said white. The thing that is incredible is how erudite and widely read and cultured you are, which should be an inspiration, which just means that your dissident voice is not based on some sort of silly... Uh, shock jock reaction Mm -hmm. which is the way people try and characterize those of us and i don't want to say that but you know anyone who's a dissident they try and shut up as being sort of a fool who just is a kind of attention seeker right right what you saves you absolutely is that you have read that library right now in in my in my new book i we produce a, a a very extensive review i did for the chronicle of higher education um, of three new books by women academics for university presses on the bondage and domination um, m- movement, all kinds of things, dominatrixes and so on. Right? And, and one of the points I, I made in this okay, to, was like my horror, looking at the bibliography of, of um, those books, and one, one in particular, um, there was no, extensive bibliography, there was no book published before the 1980s in anthropology. Mm-hmm. All right? See, because because young people, these are young academics, have been convinced there's nothing worth reading in the history of scholarship before the 1980s period, influenced by postmodernism and poststructuralism. Like, this is an 
absolute horror, okay, because the best work, okay, that ever done in scholarship preceded that, okay, it is what I, what I was based my own work on, okay, especially the great British tradition of classical anthropology, you know, of the, uh, of the late 19th century, early 20th century, and so on, okay, so we have academics, people teaching, okay, who have, ne- who, who believe, okay, that, that all former scholarship has been superseded, okay, by, by Foucault, okay, who knew nothing, okay, Foucault, okay, <laughs> Foucault was not a scholar, okay, and, and he was a he was a he was a minor bird, okay, taking things from very important works that influenced me, like Irvin Goffman and so on. I think one of the interesting things is nowadays, kind of the the way people are looking at university comes as if they were a microcosm of society, and it's like an introspection on themselves. So one of the things I think comes into it is like class. So this rise of like anti lad culture and kind of anti frat boy culture, I suppose, would be the parallel in America. On campuses, more to do with like a denigration of working class culture, you know, going out drinking lager, watching sports, and you know, reading red top newspapers. And then I think like the flip side of that as well is like, why why are we becoming so um, so like ready to broaden and like expand childhood on campus? So like people are saying now your childhood doesn't end till you're 25. Well, like fuck that, I'm 25. I've been an adult since I was 18. You know, so why why are we now so interested in seeing university campuses and microcosm of society? Let me just say something about yes, that, that expansion of childhood. Into, then this is a product okay, of our of a new period where it's assumed that for careers you need you need uh, a whole you know, advanced education, not only college education, but then postgraduate work. And then, so by the time you're ready to be an adult, people are in their late twenties, early thirties. Right? Now, whereas in the in the old days, okay, with the period that was less service sector economy and more more you know based on manufacturing and so on, um, you had people marrying you know, right right out of high school. For example, my, my parents uh, married. Well, my father was still in college. Uh, I was born while he was still in college, uh, and, and I and I and therefore, um, you know, I'm the product of young parents. So, so this is so this one of the things I'm I'm, I, I'm trying to uh, encourage right, is for um, is uh, is that uh, and this is also in the in my in my new book pieces I've written in my new book I've I've I've, ca- I've called for uh, young women okay to be um, to be educated much more about um, biological differences. It's women who must start thinking about whether uh, early on, whether they want children or not. Okay? It, it, how do they see their lives in the future? Okay? Do, do, they, do they want simply a career okay? or do they want um, a career and children? If so, it, it's up to see, young women okay, have, have the right, have the obligation to decide do they want their children early or late because uh, the, the period of, of maximum fertility is early. Okay? There are, there are once a woman is settled, she's in her 30s, okay, there are all kinds of risks that start to happen because of biological differences. I believe that colleges would gain enormously okay, from okay, the presence of married students in the classroom. People, women who had children, okay, a lot of the ridiculous statements of gender studies would disappear if there were women in the classroom who had experienced the hormonal issues okay, and the issue of procreation. Okay? So the only way the issue of procreation is, is you know, like part of the feminist agenda these days is in terms of abortion, okay, or in terms of of, 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 of childcare demands, okay. That, that's it. In other words, that the childcare meaning that the, a child is a burden, okay, for the for Western career woman who who, who, who puts personal accomplishments you know, at, 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 at the center of, of her life. Now, I myself, a lot of my work is based on not just library research, but personal, but social observation. I'm always watching, okay, the watching 
watching the way real people are interacting in real human space. Okay, I'm not, I'm not just like I'm not just like a, th a theory okay, about reality. And what I've noticed is that working class families, uh, you, have the, you have people, uh, women marrying much earlier, okay, so, so that they are, uh, you know, they become grandmothers in their 30s or 40s, okay, and I, and I, I, I see them when I go down to the, uh, the uh, New, Jer New Jersey um, shore towns, okay, and I see all these families, multi-generational families vacationing together in inexpensive hotels, I'm going, this, this is the life, of the working class life is far more rich, okay, as the years go on. On as the decades go on, okay, because the the, the families are, are are vacationing together, right? And okay, you get the, you see these multi generations, okay. And I thought, you know, what, what when people get old, my generation, the baby boom women, okay, who went off into careers and so on, they're about to hit the wall, okay, of, of old age, okay. All of a sudden, because the moment you retire from your job, you could be you could be the your corporate chief, okay. You, you might have millions in the bank, okay. All of a sudden, you are you have lost all meaning the moment you leave that, okay. And you're gonna and and, and what's going to happen? Un, these unmarried women, okay, who've achieved so much and so on, are suddenly alone, okay, at, at the ends of their lives, okay, and are looking back almost with the, an eye of, uh, you know, of, of uh, you know, of, of Hinduism or Buddhism, and say, what did it matter? What, what materialism, okay, status in the world, okay, property, okay, objects, and so on. what does it mean at the end of your life? I look at these working class families, and I go, and I see these the old people sitting in their chairs and so on, looking at their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren running around in front of them, okay, in these larger working class families, and I go, they are, they, they have a great sense of satisfaction, okay, they feel that they've passed on life itself, okay, at the end of their, at the, at the end of their, of their own lives, okay, so I think that there are all kinds of questions about the, what is the meaning of life, what is going to be uh, ultimately, uh, you know, of spiritual satisfaction to you as your, as your life goes on, these questions are completely eliminated from our current uh, demanding sense of entitlement, which is at the basis, okay, of this kind of social welfare ideology. Okay, brilliant, thank you. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for being here, first oh, of all. Oh, um, yes. If you're advertising, you better be ready to sell. Nobody take this the wrong way, but I think I'm selling. But I don't know what I'm selling. I'm not sure what I'm selling. I enjoy being a biological woman. I do. I enjoy physical sex. Am I allowed to say that here? I do. Um, I'm an unmarried woman, alone, maybe. But I've never wanted to be locked into my biology. And some of my interaction and some of what I'm selling is ideas. It's the sellable part of me. And I'm selling that to blokes and people and all sorts of people. And I'd like to hear you say something about that sellable part of male, female, whoever you'd want to be, and selling ideas and working together, male and female, working class politics, as we've said. Where does all of this and that relationships we share with each other and what we're selling to each other, and maybe selling's the wrong term here, maybe I mean engaging with each other, where does that leave us individually in negotiating those relationships and collectively, politically, where we're going with that? I don't want to be alone all my life. I'd like to yeah. do something with people. 
Yeah, well, we're, we're in a kind of brave new world. It's, it's a brand new territory because, um, as from my reading of history, uh, you know, this is we're in a very recent period, the period following the Industrial Revolution, where for the first time women uh, emerge from the private sphere okay, and are working side by side with men at the office. So there's, there, to, to me, what I can see, there's a certain disillusion that the sexes have right now. The, the, the mystery of, of sexual difference is quite gone, um, and women, particularly career women, women who are, who are making their own way, I find it difficult okay, to, you know, to, to deal with, with men and, and vice versa. There's mutual suspicion. Uh, when I look at the, uh, you know, the agrarian period that, uh, that has been really the totality of human history until, until the, the industrial period, what I see is that women were actually happier okay, in that period. They, they lacked civil rights and political rights and career rights as, as we know them. And so you know, we think of, oh, they were, they were, they were in prison. But um, actually, there was a, a sense of happiness they, they, the world, they lived in the world of women. There was a solidarity among women. Right? And, I, and I, I think I'm, I just have this special position because um, all four of my, um, of my uh, uh, grandparents were born in Italy and so was my mother. Okay? So I, I'm, I'm only one generation removed from the old rural lifestyle. And I can, I can, I can clearly remember okay, that, that world of women. My, my, my grandfather was working in a, in a shoe factory in uh, upstate New York. But the, but the women of the of that old period the the older women Ruled that world of women. Okay, it, 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 and today we're in a period which values youth, okay, and, and energy and vitality. And aging women are have, have been edged off the map in terms of of meaning. Okay, so we have we have women who are like free agents like yourself. Okay, who are, are moving, looking for a position. Okay, looking for respect. Okay, but it, it's like it's like you are it's like we're in intergalactic outer space. Okay, you're like we literally are we are literally, literally redefining, making up you know, new definitions of personality. Um, and, uh, and there's a sense of uh, engagement, but then loneliness and separation and disconnection, et cetera. Okay? Right. Whereas in the wor- the, those, that multi-generational world that I'm talking about, that, that the solidarity of women, um, the, uh, the w- women had total command over, over the home, also of, you know, of the world of, of procreation. Uh, you know, I can remember um, how unimportant young women were in that system. Uh, young, young women today, the, the young woman is everything now, okay, because of, we're, we're in a period where any and youth especially in America must be preserved at any cost so there's an enormous industry in uh, you know botox and 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 fillers and and women hair extensions and and aging aging women in this age of divorce desperately trying to keep up their competitive value you know versus young women in the market okay this is a reversal of the human norm okay wherever i go in the world i i, I encounter um middle class professional women of, of affluence and accomplishment who are unhappy they the, the unhappiness okay, of professional women across is, is global now. Okay, it's whether it's in Europe, or Italy, in Britain, in Brazil, okay, and so on. Okay, they're unhappy. They're unhappy, they, and they want to blame men for it. Okay, but it's actually a systemic problem. Okay, is that, that women are now in a very cold and mechanical environment, the world of the professions, which gives us independence. I'm very happy for it. I'm happy to be born at this time. I would have had to be a nun and you know to get away from you know, from, the, from the family unit, you know, before, etc. Right? My only option would have been in the old days to be a nun. Um, but, but, okay, 
you know, again, you know, I, I feel that, uh, you know, that the old system, the agrarian system, privileged old aging women. I, I can remember how young women, a new bride, was regarded as absolutely, you know, it, she, she's like a puppet, okay, for the older women. The older women were in total control, okay. Of, I can remember, like a, a pregnant young woman, a recent, uh, who had been recently married, okay, uh, she, she was not, not permitted to do anything, okay. Lie down. They, they, they had the wisdom about the, the advanced pregnancy meant that you know, don't strain yourself, put your feet up, and so on. And the, 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 the old, older women, the immigrant women, they, who were like in their 70s and 80s, were tough, big voices, voices that would deafen you, you know, so powerful, as opposed to the breathy bourgeois voice okay, of the girls now you know, at the Ivy League okay, in, the, in the United States, who need all those protections because they're, they're unable to deal with men on their own, and so on. These women, they were muscular, okay? they could do anything, they could lift cars, and, you know, and so on. <laughs> all kinds of things. All right? So what What's happened is we are, we are this is a, again, it's a brave new world, okay? Everything's in flux, okay? And, and instead of, of empowering women, okay, to survive as individuals in this new world, okay, we have a system now that, that is so infantilizing, so paternalistic, okay? And so the, the, Claire and I are like, a, you know, are like parallel warriors and trying to, trying to drive this back. I don't know if I've answered your question, but I, 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 what I, I was it? Ella. Yeah, I wanted to pick up on that depiction of the tough uh, woman because I got into a lot of trouble recently for signing off an article, as I many times have done, saying that women should be able to and should prove themselves to be as big and ugly and tough as men. And I got into a huge amount of trouble about this because people said to me, how dare you suggest that women should have to prove their uh, strength or that they should have to compete with an idea of strength. And actually got me thinking about what you were saying at the start, that feminine, feminism in the past disparaged uh, men to such a certain extent and said that it was men that was the problem, men were evil, all that kind of stuff. And now, actually, it's more about disparaging women and it's saying that women shouldn't have to prove themselves to any kind of level of excellence or worth, whether that be uh, represented by men or not, but that, that women need to be accepted in their weakness, accepted in their vulnerability. So... Do you think now that contemporary feminism has essentially failed women? Yes, that uh, uh, every kind of excuse is being made for the preservation of a certain type of decorous bourgeois femininity. Okay, I mean, that, that's what I think is going on here. Okay, I, I identify much more strongly with a working class style, a style of the street. I mean, because I, I feel the street is like is is is, is like in, in an arena where there is no law, and that working class women, African American, Latina, Italian American, have like have, in their ability to, in their body language. Right? and their voices okay, take charge, take control of space much better than this bourgeois model of femininity that was typical of the 1950s and that now is encouraged okay, in, the, in the classroom and in the, in the elite schools in the United States. Uh, so, you know, I, I, so I do think that, um, that uh, there is a, this, this idea of decorum, almost a Victorian notion of decorum, of primness, of certain priggishness okay, has, has come back. Now, it, it, just, it could be generational because my, my generation uh, of the 1960s like that of the flappers of the 1920s, okay, was very interesting. Very interested in uh, using uh, language, you know, that was associated with I mean, swearing, you know, like sailors and um, and uh, talking in a body lusty way and breaking through the speech codes in the same way that, that you know that um, you have Lenny Bruce, okay, was a great hero of, okay, and the, the police would come, okay, to and arrest him at nightclubs, okay, because he was using words that were not were declared obscene. Okay? So, t so today, uh, there, you know, the, you have this. With 
withdrawal, okay, to me, really a, a, a regression, okay, to a, a pre-feminist stage of, um, of, a, of decorous and fragile femininity that I think is, I mean, this, is, this to me is not feminism, okay? This is actually anyone who espouses such a thing, anyone who thinks that, that women are so weak that they need the, these, the protections of society, okay, is just simply rolling back, you know, feminism. Uh, I, I, and I deny, okay, that, 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 that any, any woman, okay, who, who, who argues for the, for the protection, you know, of, of women in this way, okay, is not, is not a true feminist. I respectfully disagree with a lot of things you've said, but uh, as a student, I think I'm going to raise some concerns about what you said about the university. Uh, I think in this debate, we've conflated two very different things, Molly Coddling versus raising genuine concerns about structural gender and racial injustice in uh, college and university campuses. Um, I think what you call Generation Snowflake is a generation that recognizes diversity in the classroom and is more sensitive to the various kinds of injustices that students from all over the world come with. I'm from University of Oxford. I've been a participant in the Roads Must Fall movement. Um, I think it's a convenient liberal argument to make uh, for free speech by saying that, you know, uh, just get over your problems. And what you said about spending time in the library and making education a personal enterprise, I think it's very easy to individualize these things from a position of privilege. But um, I think we should address greater concerns about very deep-rooted racial and gender injustices in our curriculum in the universities. Um, and uh, let's not trivialize very important concepts like safe spaces and trigger warnings, because it's easy to pick up you know, small instances from schoolrooms and you know, destroy the whole concept of having safe spaces in the universities. But they do address some very genuine concerns about uh, bringing more equality, equity, and diversity to the classrooms. OK, so. That was an important contribution because it actually reflects far more the popular position than uh, anything or many of the things that um, Camille or, or you know, in a much lesser way I have said. That is the kind of uh, well, uh, I, uh, resonance. I, 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 you know, to use the phrase diversity okay, and believe that this is the way diversity will be achieved okay, through this um, privileging of authority, of, of surveillance okay, from above, okay? I, dis I just simply disagree. I believe true diversity is achieved through a genuine multiculturalism, which I have been arguing for 25 years, would be based on the study of world religions in the classroom. I believe that is the true diversity, is to authentically study the other culture, not through this enforced diversity and, and, uh, and again, you know, a Victorian um, kind of a, a discourse with all kinds of circumlocutions to avoid giving offense, right? So, again, I simply disagree with what you've said. I'm sorry. And the truth is, is that there is a split in this room, undoubtedly at this festival and in society. And what I hope over the next two days that we can do is to argue and not hide away um, uh, in, in some spaces, which um, one can be glib about, but which I've actually read all of the literature on, which is why I'm so opposed to them, rather than I'm being glib. I know what the arguments are. I disagree with them. And people have got to argue for them rather than suggest that the person on the other side is being glib. So let's try and have that argument out and listen to each other and argue about it. 
one last yes yes you can one last person after that and I think one of the problems and why why we disagree you see is that there is much too much focus on the present in other words when the word diversity becomes a banner for let's remedy this in the present I don't think that's the purpose of education okay I think education is about opening the great past okay and of global cultures generally okay more knowledge more hard knowledge right so this 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 migration okay this transformation of the classroom situation and of the university setting into um, a praxis to cure present problems that is wrong the university should be about abstract and detached study of the past okay and of the global present it should not be about remedying problems that's a, that is a social welfare agency issue okay, okay. brilliant thank you Okay, what, what, I, I know that I've insulted you all by not taking you, but I've only got one person. You've got the microphone. This is the last point from the floor. Yeah. Um, first of all, thank you for many of your challenging points of view. Um, I just wanted to ask you to elaborate on something you said earlier about women and their sexual energies and having to be aware of that, because I feel <coughs> like throughout my life and a lot of females have been told to repress that and don't even know if they're like advertising themselves or whatever, because I suppose when I go when I go out on the sash with my friends, there are two different ways I go. I go like <coughs> if I if I don't want to pull, I dress in a certain way. If I want to pull, I dress a bit more provocatively or whatever. But the problem is that half of the time we're being <coughs> we are being sexualized, but we don't know that, and we're not trying to put something across. And how can we? Like, I think it's just as much of a male's <coughs> responsibility, and I think there should be education on consent, maybe not at a university or college level or whatever, because that's a bit patronising, but younger in primary school to, you know, explain that women see stuff differently and men see stuff differently. I'm not really sure where I was going with that, but just <laughs> <laughs> it, it feels really unfair that I'm being told to, you know, be careful about my sexual energies or whatever, when I'm, they're being misinterpreted, I've had so many male friends coming on to me or whatever when I'm just being friendly. So, yeah, it just feels unfair. Well, it, 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 you know, the, the mating rituals okay, have been t- completely disrupted because of the sexual revolution. I mean, they, they used to be... Uh, young women used to be very much overprotected okay, by their families. So there was like, the fear of, when virginity... Was uh, was a, a, a very important element in um, in in marriageability. Okay? A, a woman who lost her virginity, whether voluntarily or involuntarily, was in effect um, injured on on the marriage market. Okay, so so as my generation, you know, in the, in 19, the flappers also the 1920s had, had rejected virginity, but my generation rejected it and 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 moved toward the sexual liberation um, uh, and you know the the, the, the meaning. Of virginity has, has totally vanished. The, the problem is that I would say the majority of young women are not perhaps prepared okay, for this. Okay? Uh, they, they, uh, already pressures are on younger g- g- girls who are like 10, 11, 
2012, okay, from in high school, you know, and uh, middle school in in the United States, um, girls are losing their virginity, and just and and, and, and essentially, um, what the sexual revolution has wrought is um, a devaluation, okay, of, uh, of 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 a girl's identity. Okay, it, it, she 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 has to um, be compliant in order to in order to maintain popularity. So I think, in my, from my observation, I think a lot of young women are having sex not because they want to have sex, okay, but simply because it's expected of them, and if, if, the, if the boy doesn't get it from them, he's going to get it from someone else. So we're, we're actually in a period of chaos, okay, a period of chaos, right, uh, in which um, all the old rules have been, have been thrown out. Each young woman has to make decisions on her own. Uh, women who are extremely religious are able to um, you know, have, have a reason to present Deserve, you know, to be to be abstinent. They they have a, a moral or you know, a religious and family supported reason for it. Um, so I mean, I I I, I feel that the, the sexual realm, which seemed very exciting to my generation as we broke through the you know the Doris Day you know restrictions and so on, um, has produced a you know kind of a there's a very melancholy picture, okay, where um, when when both sexes you know have have no idea what the rules are. You know, it, it, um, so I mean, I don't know how to quite. Answer your question, except except to say that um, I, I don't see any um, any any cure for this in the, in, the, in the foreseeable future. I think that that the women in our era are are now being asked to operate as lone wolves. Okay, in in the in, in the sexual arena. I, I have been very influenced uh, throughout my life, okay, by by gay men and the way and the way they conduct their lives. And the, and the, the um, gay men have a sense of adventure about sex. Okay, they they understand the risks of sex. They understand the risks of sex with strangers. Gay men have known that for thousands of years. They've been very bold about accepting that. Okay? Gay men end up beaten and dead okay, from their sexual adventures. They don't ask for special protections. Okay? They don't ask okay, for, for you know, compassion from society and hand-holding and so on and so forth. So I, I, so I think that you know, young women have to decide, okay, do, do they want the, the, the life of abstinence according to religious uh, prescriptions over time, okay? or, or look at the way gay men conduct their lives and, and do likewise okay? and, and be like Chrissy Hine got into great trouble you know, for saying well I know that, you know, that uh, you know, I, I made some misjudgments there and, and, and like I, when I got gang raped by a motorcycle gang and so on and so what I learned from it and everyone like attacked her how dare you what okay? you're not a victim you refuse to be a victim well I admire her for that okay? and I, because that's the gay men model okay okay <laughs> uh, anything that Anything that ends with a kind of uh, hymn to Chrissy Hind is good with me. Um, but also, just think about some of the things we've heard. You know, give us the freedom to risk rape is a profound um, call that goes against the grain, which even if you don't agree with it, is absolutely to be thought about, looked at, mulled over. And I think that sometimes with contemporary feminism and in defiance of it, we have Camille... The issue is always, um, can you make my life risk-free? Mm. And if you make your life risk-free and safe, you may face no risks, but you will not be free. Mm. You can be safe, locked up, looked after, and not allowed out. And you'll be safe, but you will not be human, you will not be free... And that is not what women's liberation aspired to. Yes. Right. So, 
even if you don't agree with things that Camille has said, the simple closing down of freedom as an option for young women today by contemporary feminism deserves a good kicking intellectually, and it just got one from Camille. <laughs> Thank you very much, Camille. Thank you for listening to this Institute of Ideas podcast. If you would like to listen to more of our podcasts or subscribe to them, go to instituteofideas.com forward slash podcast.